This episode of the Suns Report podcast is on the bright side of the Sun Network. If you have an opportunity, please subscribe to this podcast and stop by brightsideofthesun.com and take a look at all the fun content that's going on there pertaining to the Phoenix Suns, even though basketball isn't going on. My name is John. I'm the host of the Suns Report podcast. I'm joined in studio by my, my, good, uh, my good friend here, Matthew Lissy. How are you, sir? Good, John. How's that burrito? Oh, it's there. delicious. Is it good? Making you feel good? Yes. Los yeah. Betos bacon, egg, and cheese breakfast burrito. No potato. No potato. That's potatoes are space killers, man. Yeah. Potatoes and rice and burritos are space killers. I don't want any part of that shit. <laughs> well, I enjoy the potato, but it's your burrito, so you can do what you want. Amen. I ordered it. Uh, well, welcome everybody to the Would You Rather podcast. I'm super excited for this podcast. This is actually something that we put out on Twitter and just asked, would you rather, in the history of the Phoenix Suns, what scenarios are there that you would rather see or, or have us bring up? You know, Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather? Yeah, so I think like, so. It's like, would you rather have four hands or four feet? Both. Both? You yeah. can't. It's would you rather. Oh, well, uh, in that case, I would have uh, hands. Okay. Yeah. I, I think so, too. Yeah, definitely. If I could have four right. hands, my feet are hands, I could be like... Climbing trees. Climbing trees. Oh, man. Yeah. Climbing trees would be really good. Yeah. So that's kind of the scenario that we're going to play out on this podcast is we have some different feedback from our listeners out there and some of their questions on would you rather. And we're going to explore some of those on this podcast. Sound good? Yes. All right. Well, I got a burrito right here and I got a beer right here. So let me pop this bad boy open and we'll talk about would you rather. Rather, a fun game that we've played growing up as children and and the playgrounds in Phoenix, Arizona. And now we're talking about it when it comes to the, the Phoenix Suns and the history of the Suns. And, you know, whether it's would you rather the Suns had brand new jerseys or would bring back the 93 throwback jerseys. Yeah. Like, in that scenario, what would you rather have? Well, that's actually funny because I realized last night why we'll never get those jerseys back. It's why? because Sarver wasn't wasn't the owner. That's not none of his shit. So he's like, so he's like, he'll I'll never go back to what that was. I want my own stuff. So we're never gonna go back to the '93 jerseys. Yeah, we got to. never gonna happen. It's not gonna happen because of him. I figured that out last night. Well, that's that makes a lot of sense. He's yeah. like, he's like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with the past. Yes. <laughs> well, he doesn't want anything that he hadn't had control over. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have any control over the '90s Suns or the. You know, the 93 the, Suns, yeah. And like the great looking jerseys. Yeah. So he's like, you know, I can do it myself. We can figure something else out where you can forget about those, but it's never going to happen. But we'll never get those jerseys either. So, well, so does that answer my question? Would you rather have those 93 throwbacks or would you rather? <laughs> I would rather have the whole thing, dude. The, even the court. I would yeah. love the court. Yeah. Yeah. They all need, of that. They need to. I, I think that I'd like to see some new threads, but it'd be cool if they did it right and tried to bring back the old style at Samford and Sons uh, has some great throwback ish looking jerseys if you ever get a chance check them out on Twitter and they have a throwback to the kind of like the 93s but they are definitely uh modern looking yeah they're more modern definitely they look great those are my favorite so without further ado let's pop into some of these questions yeah let's pop into it so the first one comes to us from at Skittles O'Brien on Twitter and he asked would you rather trade Amari for KG or trade Amari on draft night for Steph Curry. Fantastic would-you-rather right there. Yeah. This is kind of a tough one. It's tricky. Because 
it doesn't really ask when to trade Amari for KG. It's not. It's like okay, if this is prime Amari, which is like 2009, that's like mm-hmm. prime Amari. Oh yeah, that's when he's making like NBA well, first teams, second teams. Yeah, a little bit before his injuries. So well, like, well, his injuries happened before that. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like when he was actually when he went to New York and when he oh, left yeah. Phoenix and he had like one good year and then after that it was like yeah it, no. he had like twenty six points a game and then his yeah. second year it was like seven. Basically, what a the game. Suns feared would happen happened. It, no, Amari, exactly. So. I think they in the long term they made the they made the right decision. But again, back to this question. Let's just start with two thousand nine as kind of the okay. point. So would you trade two thousand nine Amari for two thousand nine KG? Or trade Amari on draft night for Steph Curry? I'd rather do the trade for KG. Okay. Yeah. I was a big um, believer in the Suns trying to get LaMarcus Aldridge, actually, at the time. Because we were looking at the injury problems that Amari had. He wanted a long-term deal. So there was actually another guy that I thought would be a great replacement for him was LaMarcus Aldridge. So that would have been great. KG, too, because, of course, he won the finals. Mm -hmm. uh, One out of two years in uh, Boston. That was KG's prime, too. I know they were kind of falling off a little bit in the LA series the second time when they lost to the Lakers in seven games. Yeah. But having him just be our center in a little bit of a defensive player, too, a better defensive player than Amari, that mm-hmm. would have been great. But also it gives me a reason to kind of trash on Sean Marion a little bit <laughs> because a lot of this is his fault How dare to you. where the Suns... No, this is why he ruined the Suns because even Dan Lebitard wrote about it where he didn't want to go to Miami... He blocked a lot of trades for the Suns. We could have had KG and Stoudemire on the same team. So I kind of looked at it that way. It's like we could just give up Marion a little bit of extra assets for KG, and that would have been a way better lineup. And that would have been great. But, of course, Marion blocked it because he thought he deserved a super max contract, which at the time didn't exist, but that's what he thought he deserved. And he, he never got it. And he blocked our future from winning a championship. That's what I think. Wow, there's a lot to un- un- unfold on that one. Uh, first and foremost, I think that KG existing with Amari and Steve Nash would have been exciting to watch, but it's one of those things where I don't think that Amari would have appreciated that because Amari wanted to be the focal point of the offense, and he had that with Marion being the role player. Again, Marion wanted to to be gone because he thought that he was had more value than than he probably did but yeah but but let, let's take a look at this okay so real quick if we're looking at the 2009 time frame this is where Amari was in his career okay he's entering his eighth season he's a four-time all-star he has two all nba second teams and one nba all first team he was entering year four of a five-year 73 million dollar contract and he was slated to make 16 million dollars in the 2009-2010 season and after the 2009-2010 season the Suns traded him to the Knicks for a, 50, a top 55 protected second round pick, which they never received because it was top 55 protected. <laughs> One of the weirdest uh, trade assets to receive back in a, in a trade that I've ever seen. And if you recall, things were testy with Amari in his final two seasons. He knew that when his contract was up at the end of the 2010-11 season that he was going to get more money. Uh, Nash was aging, Marion wanted a bigger role, and it was a tough time for in Phoenix because the end was near. At the back end of Amari being here, he didn't want to be here. He It was a testing. I was going back and reading articles just to refresh my memory on where we were at with Amari back in 2009, and that's where Amari was. He was threatening to leave or demanding a trade because he thought that he was worth more than the Suns were going to be able to pay him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, that was the so, KG, at the same time, 
He was just one year removed from winning the NBA Finals with Boston. They had lost the NBA Finals in 2008-09 season against the Lakers, as you mentioned. He was entering his 15th season. Yeah. And he was slated to make $16 million that year, which was the same as Amari. So it would have been a nice trade because the money would have made sense. It could have happened. If they go, listen, Boston, you get Amari, and Suns, you get KG, it would have made sense. And I think that at that time, a lot of teams were interested in Amari because he was a budding superstar. But the Suns, if you recall, had one of the best training staffs in the league. And they, oh, yeah, for sure. And they knew that Amari was on his way to, to Injuryville, USA. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew it was over, and a oh, lot yeah. of Suns fans kind of felt the same way too. Oh yeah, that's without what, a doubt. Yeah, that, that's why Amari was kind of pissed off because the the fan base was like, yeah, but we've been through everything with this team, and basically we had Sean Marion two years ago, which is where I kind of took this question was, basically the trade offers and everything like that was before KG left Minnesota, where Marion didn't want to go to Minnesota, he didn't want to go to Miami. So it basically left the Suns with like, okay, we can't get anything there, so we're going to get Shaq. And then that's what happened that year yeah. when we had to get rid of Marion because he thought he was worth more. So that's that's kind of the Kevin Garnett. I was thinking of the pre-championship Garnett. So I was like, if we could have pulled off Marion and some assets for Kevin Garnett, and then I know you said that oh, Stoudemire no. maybe not, would have not worked, but we had Shaq come in. Yeah. So Shaq was like a bigger bigger star at the time. I feel like I, he was kind of falling off, of course, oh, yeah. after Miami, mm-hmm. but... I don't think it would have been an issue with KG and Sotomayor. I don't think it would have been. But, yeah, anyways, like you're Well, that's saying, not this question, though. This question is Amari for KG, not Marion for KG. But it, for... It, well, no, because the trade offers and stuff, Amari was on the table. Mm-hmm. So he was, like, 24 years old at the time. And they're yeah. like, they're like he wasn't a player that they would hold on to for sure. They're like, if KG's in the deal, we might just trade him out. So that was an offer. That's, so that's what I was looking at. So any way to like trash Marion a little bit, I'm going to just a little bit because he ruins so much of the Suns' future winning a championship. I thought so. Okay, okay. Well, I'm going to look at uh, the 2009 NBA draft now. I'm going to okay. look at the other side of this question. Would you rather trade Amari for KG or trade Amari on draft night for Steph Curry? Well, let's look at the 2009 draft. This is the draft that the Suns took at number 14, Louisville forward Earl Clark, who I always really liked and I thought that he would pan out and he just never did. But he was a, yeah, that was everybody. He he just didn't have the motor. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Uh, this was a strong draft. You know, 2009, the number one pick was Blake Griffin, and this draft included James Harden at number three, Papa Ricky Rubio at number five, Steph Curry <laughs> at number seven, Demar Derozan at number nine, Drew Holiday at number 17, and Jeff Teague at number 19. Pretty pretty decent draft. Uh, the rumor was that the Suns nearly traded up for Golden State's pick at number seven for Amari Stoudemire. And you can look it up on azcentral.com, all over the place. I mean, yeah. Steve Kerr Steve Kerr wanted Steph Curry. Yeah. He wanted him. Other picks and players would have come over as well because it was a pick that you were trading for with Amari, so they would have got more assets for it. When I look at this question, would I rather KG for Amari or Golden State's pick, a.k.a. Steph Curry in 2009, my verdict is Steph. Even if the Suns were trading prime Amari which they were, for prime KG, I think Steph would have succeeded Nash and given D'Antoni another shot at revolutionizing the NBA. And who knows if we would have won a championship, but if you have Steph plus assets acquired in the Nash trade eventually, who knows what could have happened. I feel like it, it prolonged the Suns' window for success. Whereas with KG, you bring him over, maybe it is him and Marion and Nash, 
but that window is going to close in two or three years. Whereas with Steph, you know, you give him two or three years to learn under Steve Nash, and who knows what he could have been with that. So I think that, that that's my verdict. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I was looking up. I was like, when was D'Antoni's last year with Phoenix, though? Wasn't it 2008? Yeah, 2008. He was a, That was the last year he was with Phoenix, I thought. Really? Well, that was the time because we were facing the Lakers in the playoffs. That was the first we got. It was game six we lost to them when they mm-hmm. went to, on to beat the Celtics. Mm-hmm. And that was 2008. And that was with Gentry. That was Gentry's first full year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it would have been... I love Gentry, so you can look at I it that too. way. So, Gentry would have been a great coach for Steph Curry, too, as well. Um, but uh, the thing is, I, I'm so scared of the Suns touching anything for the, like the last 10 years. So I don't know if they would have screwed everything up with Steph. So I'm, maybe I'm, I know I, I love Steph Curry and I would have loved for him to be a son, but maybe we would have ruined his career. But we did have a good training staff. So, we did. And I know he had the issues with the injuries and mm-hmm. stuff people were worried about. So maybe that would have been great. Um, I would have just been more secure with getting a, a, an actual star um, maybe in KG, but then I don't know. No, I understand that. He, but again, KG's in his fifteenth year. I know, he's so, out of the league in five years. Yeah. You know, if he's if he plays all the way to twenty years, whereas Steph, you got him as a rookie. Yeah. So again, I your know. window yeah. it could have changed this last decade. It could have changed. Signs. But do you trust him though? I mean, yes. do, would you have trusted him with that? Yes. Okay. I, Kate, don't. I don't know if you remember watching Steph Curry in college when he played for Davidson, but the guy's always just been such a pure shooter. And again, with Steve Nash, who is a great shooter as well, teaching him, combine that with the assets that eventually the Suns get for Steve Nash. Yeah. I I honestly think that the Suns would be loaded, locked and loaded. Now, again, the Suns have proven time and time again that they can take a bunch of assets and fuck them up. Yeah. So we know that, but I still think that having Steph is something that we'd we'd still have him on the team right now, potentially. Potentially, yeah. That would have been great, man. Yes. Um, who would have known what we would have done? Because you had to look after like that year, the graphics we had after. It would have changed everything, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. It's one of those what-if things. Oh, um, well, that's what this whole podcast yeah. is. Would you rather are a bunch of what-ifs. <laughs> but also, too, I mean, I know we were talking about just the Garnett trade, but it, could you imagine, though, if we had Nash, Garnett, and Amari for two seasons at least? We couldn't. Cause it's it, not based on this would you rather. I know, but that's, <laughs> I don't... Fuck the question. I don't care. I'm just talking about what happened with Marion in 2007 because that would have changed the history of the Suns to where we would have Garnett. It's just the only reason I bring it up is because I didn't realize that would have happened until I looked up this question. So that's huge. I feel like it's bigger than that's bigger than knowing if we would have had um, Steph Curry on our, in our team for the last 10 years with fucked up draft picks. Um, so I was just thinking like those three versus like Kobe Gasol and like whoever the hell they had on yeah. that team. I'm just versus those two. I, I feel like we would have, the well, I team. think the, the bigger challenge was, the Spurs at the time. I mean, we, we couldn't get through San Antonio that entire decade. And having KG yeah, playing defense, defense on yeah. Tim Duncan, that'd be pretty big, man. I know. It'd been awesome. That would have been pretty awesome. All right. Our next question comes to us from at Martin Bonabo. And he asks, would you rather have the Suns 04 squad, which included Quentin Richardson and Joe Johnson, or the 07 squad, which included Dion and Bell? Okay. Yeah. Great question. Uh, the 2004-2005 Suns went 62-20 and and lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Spurs in five games, whereas the 2006-2007 Suns squad went 61-21 and and lost in the Western Conference Semifinals versus the Spurs in six games. The 04-05 team, first in the NBA with 110.4 points per game and a 114.5 offensive rating. The 0607 squad was first in the NBA as well, 
with slightly less 110.2 points per game, but we're still also first in the league with 113.9 offensive rating. And lastly, the last statistic I'll throw at you is the 0405 squad was last in the league with 103.3 opposition points per game and 17th in the league with 107.1 defensive rating, whereas the 0607 squad was 23rd in the league in defense with 102.9 opponents points per game and 13th with a 106.4 defensive rating. Yeah. So those are from a high level standpoint, those are those two squads. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? What do I think? I think Key Rich and Joe Johnson for sure. Okay. Till I die. Till I die, I would have rather had those guys for the next three or four years and see what would have happened. Because you can tell, like, the statistics you were showing, with what Diao and Bell had with the Suns, it kind of just evolved into something else. So they, they kind of believed more in their system, I thought. So imagine having Joe Johnson and Key Rich for the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. That would have been... Definitely the best. And I also have to think about even the interviews you hear with Amari and Q Rich. Like they even talk about they wanted those that team together. They couldn't believe they all broke up after yeah. that one year. One year. So I would have to go with them because Q Rich was nothing after, of course, the Suns, but he was just such a valuable player in that system. And then Joe Johnson, of course, you know how he was the rest of his career. So those two for sure. Um, what do you think on that one? So I broke it down by position and just kind of did a, a comparison. My initial instinct is, yeah, the 0405 squad. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, that 0607 squad was pretty nasty too. Uh, let's let's take a look at it position by position. So point guard, you have 0405 Steve Nash versus 0607 Steve Nash. So 0405 Steve Nash won the MVP that season. But in 0607, he actually had better numbers. So 0405, 15.5 points per game, 11.5 assists. In 0607, Nash had 18.6 points per game and 11.6 assists per game. So pretty even on the assists, but three more points per game. So I got to go advantage 0607 Nash yeah. on that one. He didn't win the MVP that year, but everyone thought that actually that was the year that he probably should have. He yeah. should have won the third one in a row, and they gave it to... I don't remember. God, I was don't it Dwight remember. Howard? I, it was Dirk. It, oh, I'm was it pretty Dirk? sure it was oh, Dirk that year. Dwight Howard. That was later on, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that... I remember of all the seasons of him winning the MVP, that was the one where I was just like, ah, oh, he actually earned it this year because he took a team that wasn't very good. The 0607 Suns had a lot of injuries. Yeah. And th- again, as you mentioned, their their lineup just was, and the system that they ran was just a little different than the 0405 squad. So I thought that he should have won MVP that year. If you look at shooting guard, this is a little bit tougher because you have Raja Bell, who had a better three-point percentage, but Q Richardson led the league in threes made. Who do you think? Who of those two? Who do you think had the better defensive rating? Oh, Roger Bell, right? So Bell had a defensive rating of 110. Q had a defensive rating of 107. So actually better. That's oh, points really? given up per 100 possessions. Bell had a 1.6 defensive win share. Q had 2.5. Wow. So Q is actually better on defense than Rajah Bell was, and they both had pros and cons. But you look at their statistics. I mean, their points per game were both almost identical but you look at rebounds per game and richardson has them by three rebounds per game he was a bit more physical he was, wow. a, he was a bit bigger guy so you would have never thought right even no. though you don't, even though you hate roger bell right? yeah well you don't like roger yeah i'm not bell. a big roger bell fan not hate, but you don't like him yeah i'm yeah. not a big i was never a big fan of roger bell because i liked q richardson so much i thought that yeah. he was ideal for the system we brought in roger bell because the Suns wanted to you know 
up their defensive intensity, but they already had somebody who was playing decent enough defense. Uh, but the advantage on this one is the 0405 Richardson to me. You look at small forward, Marion played 67% of his time at small forward in uh, the 0607 season, whereas in 0405, he's more of the power forward. And I mean, his numbers are just, he dominates Joe Johnson, especially like the rebounding. Joe Johnson had five rebounds a game, Marion had 10 in 0607. So the advantage is 0607 Marion. Then you look at power forward, you have Dia, who started 59 games in 0607. And he played a total of 73. And compare that to Marion again, who's now over on the 0405 squad playing at uh, power forward. And he had 19.4 points per game and 11.3 rebounds per game. Marion was a fucking beast. He was awesome. He was. I loved him. He deserved every penny he asked for. Yeah, you no. ever trash talk But Marian he never again. got it. He never got it. <laughs> no, I love Marion as a player. I fucking loved him so much. I just hated how it ended. I it's did just, too. The I way it too. ends always is a big thing for me. It's just everybody's career if it ends in a terrible terrible way it can like tarnish everything else they did mm-hmm. so that's the way i looked at it i loved marion he was the fucking greatest he God, did everything for the team everything man yeah the swiss army knife last but not least you look at the center position this is 0405 stat versus 0607 stat that clearly goes to 0405 amari 26 points per game nine rebounds a game Jeez. whereas in 2006 2007 he had 20 points per game and 9.6 rebounds per game I look at the benches, and you look at the old 405 bench. It's Leandro Barbosa, Jim Jackson, Bo Outlaw, Casey Jacobson, Walter McCarty, Jake Voskel, and Stephen Hunter. And the 0607 squad had James Jones, Leandro Barbosa, Kurt Thomas, Jalen Rose, and Marcus Banks. And those are all guys who played over yeah. 25 games. And the verdict is I'm going to have to go like you with the 0405 squad. You think, oh, wow, I thought you were going to go the other way. No, Good. no. And, yeah. and here's why. Here's why. Marion was playing at power forward, and they could run teams off the court. They were themselves that year, and they weren't trying to be San Antonio. Because you look at the Bell and Diao years, that's when the Suns were trying to, and the Kurt Thomas was a part of that squad too that was coming in off the bench. That, that was the Suns trying to beat, design a team to beat one team, the San Antonio Spurs. Now, you look at 0405, the Suns lost to the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals in five games. I feel, honestly, if the Suns had lost in six games or seven games that year, that they would have kept that squad together. But they got their asses thoroughly beat against San Antonio, and because of that, they blew it up. They're like, okay, we've got Nash, we've got Amari, we've got Marion. Let's change the other two pieces and try to make those pieces that are going to defend the Spurs better. And I understand the thought process behind that, but the result killed their identity. They became a team that was trying to stop the Spurs versus being, we are the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. This is the style that we play. You have to play our game. So if they come back the next couple of years and improve their game, they could have changed history. But instead, they decided to trade Quentin Richardson to get Kurt Thomas to New York. They got Rajah Bell in to play more defense on Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, and that was the end of it all. I yeah. mean, we never did beat the Spurs. Yeah. Not, not until Grant Hill was on the team. <laughs> no, I know, right? Um, and you can just... You can compare that to anything you do in life. Even as a person, if you try to change yourself to any way to match anybody yep. or to try to do anything that another person's doing, like you can't. You just have to really be yourself and a fool. And I mean, you can like elevate yourself and the Suns would have elevated. They mm-hmm. would have been even better the next year. Yep. You know they would have been. So it's just like, th- that's what D'Antoni learned with the Houston Rockets now. It's just like, he's all in. And if this doesn't work, then I failed. But you can see it was working. Mm-hmm. They were falling off a little bit before the season ended. But... It was working. And everyone said that's a bullshit trade. They should have never done what they did. 
but they won like 10 games in a row or something. Yeah. And it's like, oh, fuck you guys. Embrace your identity. Yes. Embrace it. Please do. Don't sit there and try to adjust who you are for somebody else. Because you can change history. Like like you said, as an individual or a team, it, it can happen. Oh man, that would have been great. So uh, again, that's the so my verdict. I know every time you go through Suns history, you end up going through depressing. Don't worry, we got a, co- a question at the end. That's like the most depressing question <laughs> ever. Uh, but again, so which team would you rather have, the '04 Suns or the '07 Suns? Matthew and I both agree on the '04 Suns. Yes. All right, Matthew, you want to take the next question from at Joe Burgers? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. So, would you rather uh, Richard Dumas or Oliver Miller? had reached their potential. So what do you think about that? This was one I had to really research because I wasn't really around. I was around, but I don't remember too much. But you can take the floor on this one first. Okay, so first let's start with who these players were. So you have Richard Dumas, or Dumas. You had Richard, <laughs> Richard Dumas, 6'7", 200-pound, small forward slash uh, power forward from Oklahoma State. The Suns actually drafted him in 1991 with the 46th overall pick. So he was a second rounder out of OK State. And he was actually suspended the 91-92 season for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Then in 92-93, the season that the Suns went to the NBA Finals, he burst onto the scene, earning all-rookie second team. He started 32 games for the eventual Western Conference champions, had a career-high 32 points on February 18, 1993 versus Atlanta, started Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Well, he started all the games in the NBA Finals, but he had 25-5 and on 12 for 14 shooting from the field in the NBA Finals in Game 5. And he averaged 15.8 points per game and 4.6 rebounds per game in that 92-93 season. Now, he was suspended the next season for uh, the league's substance abuse policy once again. And he played 15 games the following season before being waived by the Suns. He was picked up by Philly, played one year there, and then his career was done. You look at Oliver Miller, he was six foot nine, 280 pounds when he was a rookie, power forward slash center. He was actually picked in 1992 in the draft. So the Suns drafted in the second round Richard Dumas, Dumas. Dumas or Dumas? Dumas. Every time I watch the highlights, they said Dumas. So Dumas. So they drafted Richard Dumas in the 91 draft. They drafted Oliver Miller in the 92 draft with the 22nd pick. And came out of Arkansas, and he backed up Mark West at center for the next two seasons. He left the Suns, joined the Pistons, and then was drafted by the Raptors in the expansion draft. And he was actually the starting center on the inaugural season for the Toronto Raptors. Came back to Phoenix in 99, played in 176 games, but only started 40 games for the Suns. In three seasons with the Suns, he averaged 7.2 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, and it wasn't substance abuse that hurt Oliver Miller, it was his weight problems. Mm -hmm. He ballooned to over 300 pounds. Uh, He was just, you know, a a great athletic talent. If you go back and you watch the highlights, very technically sound, great passer, uh, but he just, he couldn't get his weight under control and it really hurt him overall. So those are your two guys. So based on that, what are you thinking? So I thought Dumas was my first pick. Um, And it's sad. Both stories are really upsetting, especially Oliver Miller, the whole eating thing and his weight issue, because he was really depressed and he was affected by a lot of what people would say about him. So that made it even worse. So it was just continually like funneling down. He had a longer season, but it was just a a longer career. Yes. So it was just, it was like a longer drought for him basically until it was finally over. Dumas was over quick. But when I go back and watch highlights and stuff, I think Dumas, because he played such a huge role, I think, even like in the 92-93, the finals, 93 finals, yep. 
So I chose him because he was a starter and he was his first season. He made the second team uh, all rookie team. Yep. So that was big, I thought. And I think it was more of just a surprise player for the Suns. And he came in and he played his role, played the four, and he came in and he actually did well. So I think just having him on the floor in the finals for all starting all the games and putting up 20 points pretty much a game, I would choose him. But it kind of sucks because I didn't really get to watch. I just get to watch highlights, and I hate that. I, yeah. mean, I can watch the whole games, but, I mean, I chose him. I first I thought Oliver Miller because I was surprised to see him on the floor in the finals. I was like, oh, yeah, he was actually a pretty good player. Yeah. And then then you think about both players are the same way, so it's kind of hard. So I just went to the dude. I went with the guy that started. So that's what I. That's gotcha, how I chose gotcha. it. So, I mean, it sucks. I mean, that's a bad answer, but what do you think, man? Well, I agree. Richard Dumas is who uh, I picked. For a couple different reasons. You know, Miller had an eight-year career. We had an opportunity to see him play for a long time. Dumas only played in 102 total games. And he could dunk. I mean, he just watched the highlights yeah. again. I mean, he, he could throw it down. I Again, watching highlights is tough because it's going to be the best part of their game. Yeah. And it's a lot of dunks. So I didn't really see, like, how he shot the mid-range. He was decent from downtown, but he didn't shoot a lot from downtown, so he didn't really know. But he was the future of the franchise back then. He was an ideal forward right next to Charles Barkley. And by the end of the season and going into the finals, he started every game for for that reason because he fit in perfectly. You look at that lineup, it's KJ, it's Dan Marley, it's Dumas, it's Barkley, and it's Mark West. And that's a solid starting five. So they come back the next year and have an opportunity as Western Conference uh, champions to back it up, and Dumas is gone and because it's substance abuse policy. He kind of looked like Chuck, too, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. like He looks a lot like Charles Barkley. Oh, does he? He does. I didn't yeah. think of that. <laughs> you look at the last six games in the Suns' final franchise history. The last time the Suns played in the finals, Richard Dumas was starting. Think about that. He was a rookie, and he averaged in the NBA Finals 15.8 and 4.3 rebounds per game. Who was he going up against in that finals? Oh, just Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen. I mean, the guy, and he was scoring. You know, I mean, yeah. like, he was he was really good. And it's, I think it's, both are tragic tales, as you mentioned. But I think that Richard Dumas had so much more of a ceiling than Oliver Miller had. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that due to substance abuse that it was cut short. Because it, going back and looking at it, it's not as tragic as Len Bias, if you remember who Len Bias is, mm-hmm. for the Boston Celtics when yeah. they drafted him. He was talked about a potentially being the next Jordan, although that's what everybody said about anybody back then. But you just, you never got to see. You never got to see what that guy was made of. Dumas was the same way. He had one amazing year and then just fell off. Mm-hmm. So we agree on that one from at Joe Burgers. Yep. Would, would you rather Richard Dumas or Oliver Miller reach their potential? We both agree on Richard Dumas. Yep. And so far, the knife is like halfway up my the wrist right here. <laughs> I, so. know, I know. Do we have a positive question <laughs> yeah. on this one? <laughs> Jeez, man. Well, the last question is from at So Says Jay, who's actually the one of the hosts of the Fanning the Flames podcast here on the Bright Side of the Sun Network. And this is one of my favorite questions. In fact, I'm actually going to turn this into an article on Bright Side of the Sun. I'm going to write an article about this one because this is such a good question. Would you rather Amari and Boris not leave the bench or Ainge not leave Paxson? Such a good question. These are two of the biggest moments in Suns history. So is it okay if I review both situations? Yeah, go ahead. 
All right, so Amari and Diaw leave the bench. This is game four of the 2007 Western Conference semifinals, and the Spurs are up 2-1 to one in the series. This was a physical series, if you recall. Bruce Bowen was accused of kicking Amari in game two, and he intentionally kneed Nash in the nuts in game three. The Spurs, I remember, I felt like we're getting away with fucking murder, and there was no consequences to how they were just beating up the Suns. And early in game four... The Spurs bench actually cleared, including Bowen and Tim Duncan, after Francisco Elson fell on James Jones and created an altercation underneath the basket. The, the Spurs kind of come running to his rescue, and then they back off. So that comes into play later. So with 24.9 seconds left, you know, real quick, it is really hard to find like this game on YouTube or anywhere. Is it? It is. Like You can see highlights of the game, but you can't actually watch the game itself. Oh, you know what? This is, I think, when uh, Nash was on Bill Simmons' podcast, yes. they had to rewatch this game, right? Yes. And he said that he had to send him a link, and it was like a link from like someone that had 600 views or something like yes. that. Yes. That, and I think it got deleted. It's bullshit. What this, is it? Well, it's just it's one of the biggest games in NBA history as far as a team, I feel, eventually getting robbed because Amari and, and yeah. Dial were uh, suspended due to the actions that I'm about to mention here. But you can't even go back and review it. And I, it's like... Well, every game should be watched. Like, it should be. Able to, yeah, it should be accessible well, to I everybody. Can, I can go back and, you know, we talk about the second part of this question is Ainge not leave Paxson in the 1993 NBA Finals. I downloaded that entire game. Yeah. I can't even... You can barely watch highlights of this game. I know. Isn't that strange? Conspiracy theories, man. I mean, the whole world is uh, it's governed by the NBA. Yeah. So, <laughs> with 24.9 seconds left, the Suns were leading 100-97. to Manu Ginobili misses an easy layup, and then all hell, hell breaks loose. Barbosa gets the rebound. He passes it to Nash near midcourt. Robert Ory, he's using everything he learned from Hockey 101 when he hip-checks Steve Nash into the scorer's table. Raja Bell is the first one on the scene to confront Ory, and he kind of, you know, they tussle a little bit. And then Dion Stoudemire leave the bench, and Amari's walking aggressively, although they're both, both him and Dion are going to Nash. Yeah, they're, they're not going, going after, to help him up. Yeah, they're not mm-hmm. going after Ori. They're going to Nash. Ori gets a flagrant foul, too, and is tossed from the game. Nash goes one for two from the line, and the Suns end up winning the game 104-98. to And I remember watching PTI the next day because that was all, it's all anybody was talking about was what Robert Ori did because he didn't play a lot of minutes that game. He comes in, he hip-checked. I mean, they needed a foul right there, but he just he straight he, he hip-checks them. Yeah. It's aggressive. Nash admits that he kind of sold it a little bit. Yeah, he did. But still, it was an aggressive play. And... I was watching PTI, and then right after PTI, that's when David Stern announced that they were going to suspend Diaw and Amari for one game for leaving the vicinity of the bench. Robert Ory got two games suspended. Diaw and Amari got one. After the suspension, Stoudemire stated that he was disappointed that the NBA looked at the letter of the rule and not the spirit of the rule. I admit I stepped onto the court, and I should have had some more restraint. But Tim Duncan did the same thing just didn't do so in an aggressive manner. The rules are the rules, and I abide by them. But in the, And in that same vein, I think that it would be beneficial for the league then to have also taken a further look at Tim Duncan. So why is this such a big question? Because losing Dion Amari meant the Suns lost two-thirds of their defensive solution for Tim Duncan. Uh, Kurt Thomas was the other third of that uh, solution to try to yeah. sh- shut him down. The Spurs win Game 5 in Phoenix. And then they win game six in San Antonio and they close the series out. What makes this such an interesting question is because you look at who the Spurs played after that. Do you remember who they played in the Western Conference Finals? 
I know. No, I don't actually. I just remember whoever won this series was going to win the finals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody, even Bill Simmons mentioned on that podcast that like this was the NBA Finals. It was. The Western Conference yeah. semis were the NBA Finals because the winner of this got to play the Utah Jazz, led by Carlos Boozer and Darren Williams. The Spurs beat the shit out of them four games to one. Yeah. And then on the Eastern Conference uh, championships, uh, or on the Eastern Conference side, you had the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron's first run to the finals, the Spurs beat them for nothing in the in the finals. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is such a big what if. It's like if they didn't leave the bench, if the Suns had an opportunity to have Diaw and Stoudemire in game five at home, would they have won and taken a three two handle on the on the Spurs with an opportunity to win in the next two games? to win one game and advance to the Western Conference Finals where they would have played a shitty Jazz team and eventually played a shitty Cavs team. Okay, so that's side one. Side two is Ainge leaves Paxson. And this is the play that's like for Phoenix Suns fans, it's like what the Red Sox fans feel like every time they see like the Bill Buckner play. Because every time you watch this three-pointer, it's, just, it's, it's so frustrating. So it's 1993 NBA Finals, June 20th, 1993. Do you know what the high in Phoenix was that day? 112. 108. Oh. 108. The Suns are at home and they're down 3 to 2 to Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls had won two in Phoenix to start the series. Then the Suns won two out of three in Chicago. And this is back when it was 2 3 2. So the Suns, if they win this game, force a game seven at home against the, the Chicago Bulls because the Suns have the best record. There's 14.1 seconds left in the game and the Suns have held the Bulls to nine points in the fourth quarter. All those points were scored by Jordan. Nine points. But they're only up two. They're up 98 to 96. And they could have run away with this game, but they missed seven out of their last eight shots, which is just so fucking frustrating. It's like you hit one of those shots, this doesn't matter. So Jordan's bringing up the ball and hits Pippen at the three-point line, who drives to the middle of the lane, and he dishes the ball to a baseline-cutting horse Grant. Grant looks like he has a shot at a layup, but realizes that Danny Ainge collapsed on the play, and he dishes... It out to the pride of Notre Dame University, John Paxson. He hits a wide-open three-pointer. I mean, just fundamentally sound. Feet set, boom, hits it. 3.9 seconds left. It has come out of this possession. They want Michael to get a full head of steam, try to keep him in the middle of the floor. Well, Pippen got the step. Here's Paxson for three. Yes! The Bulls take a one-point lead, and Phoenix calls for time with three and nine tenths seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. John Paxson converts a three-pointer in Chicago 99 and Phoenix 98. Kevin Johnson then comes and gets his shot blocked by Horace Grant on the following possession, and the Suns lose. And I was watching a, a Since 68 YouTube video, and Dan Marley said recently that he literally thinks about this once a week. <laughs> really yeah about wow. how how wide because he was i mean yeah. if you watch the play dan marley's on the weak side and he's standing kind of at the angle where when paxton shoots it he's under the basket and he just puts his hands on his head because he sees it because you way. can see it going in yeah he's like yeah. and he thinks about that all the time so there you go i've talked a lot there it is that is the amari and boris leave the bench versus age leaves paxton would you rather amari and boris stayed on the bench or Ainge stayed on paxton this was this was difficult, but honestly, I don't think the Suns would have ever beat the Bulls, even in Game Seven. I don't think Jordan would have lost. So I'm gonna take the Amari and Boris thing. But the thing is, I was always the Suns fan. Like it sucked. They got screwed by the NBA, whatever. Why didn't they just have 
I know they lost the next game, but they still had their full group with game six. Mm-hmm. How did they not come out and just be like, fuck you, NBA. We're going to fucking tear this team up. How did that not happen? Because you know what I mean? Like, they still had the opportunity. It was only 2-2. And they they almost they almost beat the Spurs the next game. They almost beat them in Game Five. Yeah, it was they a did. Low scoring game. I think the final score was eighty eight to eighty five. Yeah. And then Game Six, it was just they were like blown out. Like the, the Spurs yep. could not miss a three. But honestly, that was on the Suns. I know they got screwed, but they still had a chance to win the series. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Suns playing Michael Jordan and the Bulls in Game Seven. I don't think that would have happened. I don't think they would have won. I don't think it would have happened, dude. So fun question for you. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls won six NBA Finals, correct? Yeah. How many of those series went None. to Game 7? None. Yeah, I know. So. But, yeah, I know. But honestly, I don't think they would have won. Okay. But I'm just saying the Suns had the best opportunity in two or even three games to beat the Spurs. And they should have done it. And they didn't. And I was pissed at the Suns. I was more upset about the Suns and their their failure of even beating them one more game uh-huh. than the NBA screwing the Suns over. I was. No, I was too. And everybody, everybody six, would come up to me. Game five, you're like, okay, even without Amari and Stoudemire, like something special is yeah. happening here. We almost beat them. We're going home. We, we have a, or no, I think they went to San Antonio after that. So the next game was in San Antonio. And they're like, we have a chance at full strength. We can beat these guys. And yeah. they just get fucking blown out of the arena. Yeah, and people, they would see me. They're like, oh, you look like a Suns fan. Are you upset the NBA? And you're like, no, I'm not. Honestly, I'm pissed off at the Suns. Because you go through so much with this fucking team, and they have a chance to beat them. They're not, it's not like there was, it was game seven. And there they were, it wasn't like it was going to game seven and like the Suns were suspended for one game. It was one game, which was game five, and you still had six and seven. Come back out and fuck the Spurs up. Just beat them. No, I agree. So I'm not I'm not upset about this anymore. I know they did the whole podcast with Steve Nash. He can't watch it anymore. But you still have the opportunity. And I know the momentum went to the Spurs after the Spurs won the next game. But honestly, in a series, if you watch the NBA Finals or any series, momentum, I don't feel like it's a thing. Because remember when the Suns played the Lakers? And I think it was uh, when we had Robin Lopez. I forget what year. Whatever year. Like 2009, 2010. Yeah. The the Lakers killed us in the first two games. Yep. I was like, this series is over. We came back and beat them the next two games. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I guess there's no, no momentum. That's when I realized no series and I feel like no home crowd really matters in sports. It doesn't matter to me. It shouldn't matter to them. And they should have they should have won the finals that year. So that, I'm more upset at the Suns than anything. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, you're fine. You're fine. So your verdict is Amari and Dial stay on the bench? You know, actually, when you put it that way, it's more like... Should I just choose the Paxton one? Because I'm more upset that the Suns still just didn't win, even though I think the Suns were going to beat so, Michael Jordan so, and the so, so here's what I think, okay? The Spurs were better than the Suns that year. Okay. In my opinion, they were. That's We talked about it earlier in the podcast. The 06-07 Suns had Diaw and they had Bell, yeah. and they were trying to play San Antonio's game. And they played them well, but the Spurs were the better team. In the 92-93 season, the Suns were better than the Bulls. I believe that. Okay. Growing up... So you, you were able to actually watch well, it. Well, and not, it not only watch that, like I watched the Bulls every year from 1988 on. I've mentioned it before. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as a kid. My dad always said, watch this guy. There's something special going on here. And growing up in LA, I hated the Lakers, so I became a Bulls fan. And watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls play every year, that 92-93 squad wasn't the best squad that they had. John Paxson was hurt a lot that season. B.J. Armstrong was never really that good. And you look at who the Suns were that year, and they were better. So in my opinion, the verdict on this one is I want Danny to stay on Paxson. Because if he doesn't collapse, 
and Scottie Pippen's going down the lane. And because what happens is, as Scottie's going down the lane from the left side, that's where Ainge collapses off of Paxson to guard Scottie. Then he dishes it to Horace Grant. So then he switches to Horace Grant, and the whole time, and then he sw- he passes it out to Paxson. But if if Pippen makes a shot or Grant makes a shot, the game's only tied. It's 98-98 with the Suns with an opportunity to either score a winning basket or to push it to overtime and have an opportunity to be a team that is not playing well. They're probably you know not used to the 108-degree heat outside. They can force a game seven, which would be at home. They were 14 seconds away and a game from a championship, whereas the 0607 squad where Amari and Diaw came off the bench, even if they beat the Spurs, they have to win two more series. Yes, the teams they would have faced were subpar competition, relatively speaking, but you never know what's going to happen. I mean, see Joe Johnson's cracked orbital bone in 0405. You never know what's going to happen in a series. They were a game away from winning the NBA Finals or nine games away from winning the NBA Finals. So I got to go with Danny Stain on Paxson. They were a better team that year. Yeah, you say they're a better team, but then it's like, how do they... I know they come out, and this always blew me away how the series went where we lost two games on at home. At home, yeah. I know, and I, I just said that, I just the, said how it doesn't matter with but the But that's the shell the shock crowd. of going against Jordan and the Bulls. You're going against a guy who's won two yeah, NBA Finals, going for his third one, and so they come out with all the hype in the arena and everything's going crazy, and Jordan... Pun- but then they go to Chicago, yeah. and they win two out of three. No, I know. I understand and they, that. And they play really, really well in those games. Yeah, I including just... Including that triple overtime But then game. you're talking about, I know, the shell shock of Jordan, and you're going to game seven against Jordan. So it's just like... But that's uncharted territory for Jordan. Game seven of an NBA final is uncharted territory. So do you don't know what's going to happen. Do you wish the NBA would have saw Jordan in game seven? <laughs> like how badass he would have been? Sorry. No, no, no. I don't want... I'm no, not because, saying... No, no, no. The reason I love it is because whenever you have like the LeBron versus Jordan debate, that's like yeah. my first kind of point. It's like... Jordan's six and zero in finals, and he never went to a game seven. Yeah, he never let his team get to a, a game seven. Yeah, because you look at this series, he had like forty points a game. Jordan was fucking unconscious against the Suns, but the rest of the team wasn't that good. Whereas I felt the Suns, as a cohesive unit, were just amazing. Man, you have like Danny Ainge and Tom Chambers coming off the fucking yeah, bench. But then that's also like where we go against each other again, where it's like the LA teams. I I think I would choose a team with the two better players than you would. The team with the, the all-around all team. I go I That's go the why team. the team with the best player or the two best players is always going to win, I feel like. So that's that's why I know what you're saying with the Spurs, how they were better than the Suns. Yeah, they probably were because I was always scared of anybody the Suns played. I always thought yeah. the Suns were going to lose. Well, I were, always thought the Suns were, were right. And they always lost. So I don't know. <laughs> so anyways, that's a that's a great way to end this, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dude. But there you go. That's uh, my final verdict on that one. You know, again, thank you. So says Jay. Would you rather Mari and Boris not leave the bench or Ainge not leave Paxson? I say stay on Paxson, Danny. Stay on Paxson. We have a better shot to win a championship if we do so. That's it for the Suns Report podcast. Thanks for listening to this one. This is really fun to do. It sucks because it's all depressing shit. It always is. <laughs> you man. know, it's like yeah. It's, I guess that's you know the history of the Suns, man. Is they just yeah they let you down. Would you rather the Suns win or lose? Well, it doesn't matter. They're always going to end up losing anyways. But thank you for listening. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Darth Voida. You can hit up Matthew on Twitter, at Matthew Lissy. You can hit up the podcast, at The Suns Report, on Twitter as well. Instead of playing out our normal music, we're going to play out a little something different. My Uncle Dabo singing a song called Crazy Lonely. Mm. Because I'm on quarantine, and that's what I am. So that's what you'll hear at the end of this. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Thank you, and stay home and love your family. Amen.
friend call me today Learned the bad news that came my way She told me, don't cry Got the time that she come by She knows I'm crazy lonely Crazy lonely, I'm crazy lonely Cause of you Though I filled the Ford with gas Little drive to Riata Pass Yeah, and I'm sitting up here Drinking beer with Doc Cavalier And he swears he knows how I feel Time will come, son, you're gonna hear Another one may come along Maybe this one won't do you wrong He knows I'm crazy Crazy lonely, crazy lonely, cause of you. Every now and then I go up at a thing Long as Mary is serving the drinks Yeah, talk about the days of old And the stories that the doctor told about her Crazy lonely Crazy lonely I'm crazy lonely to you Hey, thank you.